Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, The Other Side NDE, where we talk about the fascinating phenomena of near-death experiences. These are more than just close calls. These are first-hand accounts of what people experienced dying, leaving the body, exploring another realm, and then returning to their body in order to share that experience with you. Every person that we interview, and many of us listeners, believe these accounts to be undeniably true experiences people had on the other side. If you enjoy listening to stories like these, make sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Other Side NDE, where we post two to three videos every week of people sharing their NDE stories. My name is Steve Weber, and I'd like to share with you my experience in the place between here and there, a beautiful near-death experience. I guess it all happened about 10 years ago when my life changed. Up until that point, I lived a very pseudo-normal life. I was definitely a alt personality. I was a Harley rider. I rode motorcycles all my life, ever since I was a young boy. I had a paper route and I bought my very first dirt bike. And that's the way I lived. I was also a computer guy and I owned my own business with my brother. And so when I wasn't riding my Harleys, I was working on my computers. I had two young children and they were my life. They changed me in so many positive ways and really challenged me the way children can often do. And that was my life for quite some time. I lived on Long Island and I loved spending Friday and Saturday nights cruising up and down Ocean Parkway. That's this long parkway by Fire Island. It's a beach community. And I had a group of friends I would ride with all the time and we'd play what we would call road games. We would zip up and down the highway. And then there was this, I guess you'd call it a biker's bar, but we would meet there. It's not a place where you'd really go and drink because you were riding. You'd be out, you'd be out, you'd meet people and you'd say, uh, where'd you get that on your bike? You'd check out each other's bikes. There'd be 20 bikes lined up in a row. That was a lot of fun for me. One night, I guess it was 4th of July weekend. It was back in 2005. And I had left Jugs and Strokers after riding all night. It was very late. It was like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was driving down the Meadowbrook Parkway. I was heading northbound. I was just putting along the way I normally would. And then to my left, I saw a gentleman driving in a pickup truck. And he was awfully close to me. And something didn't feel right about it. And I looked around and I realized this gentleman was driving the wrong way. 
he was driving northbound in the southbound lane. And I tried to like reason it out, like, was I really seeing what I was seeing? There was construction on the road and maybe he was a construction vehicle. But after a few moments, I realized that wasn't the case. He was driving the wrong way. And just then the guardrail between us disappeared and he was driving almost right next to me. And I knew if he realized what he was doing, he might just run right into me. So I quickly moved over three lanes to the far lane. And just then the fellow went underneath the bridge and went headlong into a limousine, head on crash. He killed a little seven-year-old girl and the limo driver. Although it was late at night, people were on the scene immediately. And after seeing what had happened, I drove home. I couldn't have been any help and there was help there. And I went to sleep. And the next morning I looked in the paper and it was on the front page of the paper and they were looking for witnesses. I didn't want to be a witness. It seemed to me the facts were clear. There were allegations that this gentleman had been drinking and that all the facts seemed very clear. I just put it aside and that's the way my life went. And then about a year later, a person told me to look at the newspaper. I looked at the newspaper and there was a trial going on. This fellow was being charged with homicide, second degree homicide. I knew I had to come forward at that point, and I did. I participated, I was a witness for the prosecution in the trial. It was a very, very, very difficult thing for me because first off, when I walked in to the courtroom, I took a look at the fellow who was on trial. He looked like he could be me, and I certainly wasn't any saint. But I understood the gravity of what had happened, and I was committed to going through with this. But I couldn't help but think, for the grace of God, that wasn't me. And so I gave my testimony, my honest testimony, and I was on the stand for two days. And I believe I turned that case around for the prosecution. There was a lot of problems with the case. And they convicted the young fellow, and they sentenced him to 16 years in prison. I remember the courtroom and those people, and I felt at the time rightly so, were angry. They were angry. The parents who survived, they were heartbroken and they were angry too. I'm convinced that if they had their way, if the law enforcement people weren't there, I just don't know. And that's the way that happened. And it changed my life in such a big way because I remember seeing the parents, they were angry with the judge for only giving the defendant 16 years. And I felt for the parents, I understood the way that they felt, but wow, the kid was such a young kid and it stuck with me for a long time. Both things, both stories, defendant and his 16 years and the terrible thing that he had done and the parents for losing that young child and their anger and how much it's changed their lives. After that trial, I couldn't go back to my regular life. I couldn't. I sold my business to my brother, who was my business partner, and I became a full-time dad. I did some computer work on the side, but that was my life. I was going to be a 
full-time dad, I was not going to miss out on my children because I saw the heartbreak in those families and I wasn't going to make the same mistakes. I became very involved in local politics. I was elected to a school board. <laughs> I had the government clean up a toxic waste dump. And my kids, they helped me do that, publicize the story. And it was just a wonderful thing. I really started to make purpose of my life and the life of my family. And life was good. I live on Long Island and the Hamptons are uh, out on Long Island. And that's where all the famous people go and all the beaches. And so I like to drive out there on Sundays on my Harley and go to a barbecue place. It's one of those roadside stands you can drive by and not even notice. But I had gone to the roadside barbecue place. And then on the way back, the road was crowded. It was more than just usual beach traffic. I think there was an accident or some emergency road work and the cars were backed up for miles. And I had this brand new Harley Davidson. All my Harley Davidsons were very, very loud. But this one was so quiet. It was like driving a couch down Main Street. It was so comfortable. It had this awesome MP3 player speakers and I was just enjoying myself. But it was just so heavy and the traffic was so long and it was so hot out. And I noticed that people were going on the shoulder of the road to make a right-hand turn ahead to get out of the traffic. After staying there for quite some time, that's what I decided to do. And so when I approached the intersection, just at the same time, a car opened up a space for a truck in the oncoming lane to make a left-hand turn. And when he did, the truck went slamming right into me and the lights went out. And the next thing I remember, I was laying on the ground on the road and I was looking up and I could tell a lot of time had passed because it was starting to become twilight. And then I saw all of these lights all around and they were all flashing and I realized something terrible had happened. I still didn't know I was in an accident, but it was a surreal experience. And I remember the emergency worker telling me to stay down because I tried to get up. And if you ever drove dirt bikes, you would fall down all the time and you'd get back up right away. It was kind of like an unwritten rule. If you go down, get up, or you're going to stay down. And that was the mantra I lived on. And as soon as I got up, I felt bones sticking into my leg. It was like my leg was disconnected. The flesh was still there, but oh, I was just in agonizing pain. And then I laid back down on the road. And then the next thing I knew, I was flying through the air. I was going through the clouds. I was, it was just, I just kept on going higher and higher and higher. I wasn't sure what was going on, but I thought I was dying. And then all of a sudden, I started to descend. I started to approach the ground. And then I looked down and I saw this big round circle on the ground. And I saw these buildings and I knew exactly where I was. I was in a helicopter, actually outside a helicopter, like you saw in MASH. And I was looking down 
on Stony Brook Hospital, one of the premier trauma centers in the United States. It's a teaching university hospital. I'm a graduate of Stony Brook Hospital. My mom's a graduate of Stony Brook Hospital. My daughter's a graduate of Stony Brook Hospital. It's been a part of our family for the longest time. So I knew exactly where I was. And as the helicopter landing, I saw the emergency workers unbuckle me and take me away. And that's the last time I remember being here, at least in the here and now, for what seemed like many, many lifetimes. It was almost forever that I was away. And where I went is a place I call the place between here and there. I had grave, grave injuries. I had a fractured spine. I had compound fractures in my hip. I had internal bleeding that was the most life-threatening. I had to go to surgery more than once for them to stop the bleeding because it was killing me. They eventually had to take out my spleen. I had a traumatic brain injury. There were just so many injuries I could go on. The doctor once told me that usually when reading my injury report, he said, this is more common on an autopsy report, not on someone who is alive. In my hospital room, in my hospital bed, once they got me stabilized, to the rest of the world, I was hooked up to these machines and I was laying in this hospital bed. But to myself, in my spirit, I was someplace else. I was in this beautiful, beautiful place. I was in the coma for a month, but in this place, I had so many experiences that it felt like I had more experiences in this place than I had in my actual life. See, here in this place is that time didn't exist the way it exists here. It's that time, what is time? Is that the passage of time is based upon your experiences or things happening here. Like for instance, water boiling. At first it's not boiling, then it's boiling. You see the sun rise, you see the sun set, you see the changing of the seasons. You have appointments in the future. There was none of that there. What it was, the way the passage of time happened is that you had certain understandings and experiences in this place. And you grew from those experiences. And you could look back at your awareness, the growth in your awareness, the growth in your spiritual growth. And that gave you the sense of time passing. See, the sun didn't set or rise the way it does here, unless that was part of the experience. Things just happened. It was almost like a play, like the stage was set. I couldn't control the circumstances that I was in, but I could control my actions. And so the very first place I was in, I was in a work-like setting. I didn't know I was any place else. I didn't know anything had happened. And I was helping people solve computer problems. But I began to realize that the problems I was solving really had nothing to do with computers. It had to do, there was a physical reason why we did things, but there was another reason. There was a spiritual reason. There was a spiritual learning and growth that goes from every one of our experiences. And so in this place, I learned what I first called the language of the universe. 
What I mean by that is that I was taught certain lessons. And what I believe is this place is sort of like what the Catholics call purgatory. It's not the place you go where you pass, certainly not here, but really what it is, it's a place of transition to enable you to transition from your physical body into your spiritual body, to return back to that spirit, your universal spirit, that continuation of consciousness. These are all things that I learned there. I was a zero on the spirituality scale before this experience, so I had nothing to work on. So I think I was going through spirituality 101. And it wasn't like someone gave me a book and I opened up the book and, okay, Stephen, here's chapter one. This is what you're going to learn. No, I had to figure everything out myself. It was my experiences were speaking to my inner teacher, my own Namo Gurudev Namo, my inner teacher, that part of you that you observe, you learn. Nobody's teaching you. You are learning through observing and experiencing and reacting to those experiences. For example, is that I was working with this fellow who I knew from real life. And he looked exactly the way I remembered him, except for he hadn't aged at all. And like 20 years had passed since I last saw him. And I recognized him right away and greeted him and I helped him with his problem. And then I saw him again, but he was much older. He must have aged 50 years. And I recognized him. Of course, I recognized him. And I greeted him. I helped him with his problem. And then I saw him again. And he was a child. But still, there was something about him. It was a saying, something he would say, or a mannerism. And I'd be like, I know who this is. You're so-and-so. And I was right. And this went on and on literally hundreds of times that this gentleman appeared to me in all different ways. He appeared to me as a woman sometimes, as an older woman. He appeared to me as, as different races or different heights and different, just every way he tried to fool me. But what happened is over a period of time is I didn't need to look at him. I began to be able to sense him. I was beginning to understand and sense his inner spirit, that part of us, all of us, that doesn't die, that really was never born, was created with the universe. And by going through all of this experience, I was able to sense that and tune into that. At first, it was mostly a mannerism and a little bit of spirit, but as time went on, I got so good at sensing his spirit that all he had to do was to be near me. And I would know it was him, but it wasn't him, the physical person that I was seeing. I was being taught that we all have a spirit, this consciousness, this continuation of consciousness. Like some people speak of reincarnation as you're born, you die, and you're reincarnated in a new form. But this is not understanding I got. I had an understanding that we were always in spirit, truly. We were always in spirit and we enjoy this earthly incarnation to learn and experience new things. And so once I understood and I could sense his spirit, 
I started to feel spirit in everything around me because now I could feel spirit in things. And I realized everything had a spirit, everything, the trees, rocks, the planets, the universe, and all these spirits were different, but they were all connected. There was a commonness. And I began to realize that we are all connected. Everything is connected. Whether you believe in the Big Bang or let there be light, we have all come from the first creation. We are all stardust and we are all spirit. And we all share this energy. And I began to understand that perhaps in my own way, that I was understanding who we are. And what I began to understand is that the creator and the creation are one. We aren't two. We are the creator, all of us, the universe. We are part of the creator. I remember as a young Catholic, they told me Jesus was everywhere. And I didn't understand that. Like, how could Jesus be everywhere? You know, did he see me when I was doing bad things or things I didn't want anyone to see? No, no. We are all spirit. We are all connected. And we share this universal consciousness. I believe it's very much like cells in a body. Each cell has its own life, its own way of living. It eats, it multiplies, it dies. And that's what I think we are, all of us, everything. I believe that we all have different lives, but all together, we make up the consciousness of the creator. And so that was the first lesson that I learned there is that we are all connected. And uh, it wasn't like I had control over what went on here. I was just presented with these situations and I basically had to deal with it and learn from it. And then the next experience I had is that I had, I've later learned to be a life review. And what I did is I reviewed all the things that happened in my life. Not that I was living them or not that I was seeing them as a voyeur, but almost as if I was everywhere, that I was part of the everything. And I was aware of everything that went on. And I was aware of every thought that everyone had around me in every situation. And all of a sudden, my life took on new meanings. Every interaction I had, I saw that, that it was different for everyone else there. Everyone had their own purpose for being in every situation. There was a physical reason and there was a spiritual reason why everyone was there. No one was right or wrong. Everyone had a purpose. There was our shared purpose and there was a purpose on each individual life path each of those people were on. And so when I reviewed my life, I would learn so many things about new situations and I've learned so, so much wisdom from my experiences. And then when I completed my life review, my awareness was raised. And then I would do my life review again because now I could look at my life review with a new set of eyes, with my increased awareness. And that went on time and time again. Each time I did my life review, my awareness was raised, and then I was able to do my life review again. And I learned more and more each time. 
And what I mean by that is like, let's say you were bitten by a dog when you were young and you could go through your whole life being frightened by dogs. But then after doing a life review, you would look back on that experience and then with your new awareness and you would realize that you could tell the difference now between an aggressive dog and a passive or a happy dog and you could act differently. And that's because of that life review. But as I began to address very, very deep and dark, dark, dark pains in my life, each time I overcame that dark episode, I would feel bliss. I would feel enlightened. I would feel like this big weight was lifted off me because I had a, an understanding of the meaning and the message. And that fueled my spiritual growth and my happiness. And I received such a bliss from this, truly, truly. When people speak of their near-death experiences, they often speak of colors and it was so beautiful. It wasn't like that for me. For me, the beauty was in being free from all of the pains of life. It's that it was just imagine that you had no anxiety. You weren't angry with anybody. You didn't have any hate or jealousy towards anybody. No one felt that way about you. And it was blissful each time, no matter how difficult that life review was going to be. I knew at the end, I would feel bliss. And I was definitely, I wanted to feel as much bliss as I could. And that went on and on and on. And I also began to realize that some of the most traumatic experiences in my life, some of the most difficult things I've ever been through, the heartbreaking, the fears and the jealousies and the regrets and the outrages, those are the things that brought me the most bliss. They truly did because once I came to terms with them, I felt this relief. It's not that you should go through life, at least I don't believe so, and seek out bad experiences, but when they come, you deal with them. You don't let them ruin your life. If you could figure out the meaning here, you'll be better. But if not, they will fuel your spiritual growth someday. And truly, there's a saying, you can't take it with you. And it's so true. The only thing you take with you is your experiences. And if I had that life review and I didn't have any real experiences, I wouldn't have grown. I never would have felt that bliss. And that went on and on so many times, closer to infinity than it was to one. And then when I stopped learning, I went into the next situation. And that's the way it worked there, is in the first situation when I was taught how to see spirit and understand the universal connection, the universal consciousness of all beings, I moved on. I didn't control it. It just stopped happening. And then I went through my life reviews. I couldn't control that I was going through life reviews, but when it was done, when I learned all I was going to learn, I moved on to the next situation. And the next situation, I found myself in a restaurant and I was in charge of these children, young adults. They were old enough to work and I was teaching them how to work in a restaurant. No matter what I did with these kids, they would not listen to me. They wouldn't. I tried everything and I knew I was failing. I would speak or stand before the person who I thought was the owner. I knew I was failing. 
I just didn't know what to do is, is that I tried red team, blue team, come on, let's go. And, and they would say, yes, yes, yes. And they would, they'd look so sincere and, but then they would be gone. And I was truly at my wits end. And then there was a lady there who was always praying. And I didn't understand what her purpose was because everyone there had a purpose. But what this lady did, I couldn't hear what she was saying. Maybe little blurbs, but I felt this loving energy coming from her. It was like the prayer, it didn't matter what she was saying. The prayer was almost like a road. It was like a road, which is beautiful, loving energy rode upon to visit with me. And that did give me a strength. It really did, as I felt that. I mean, she could have been saying anything, but it was a pathway to bring this healing love and light to me in a very difficult time. And finally, when I was at my wit's end, I stood before the owner and I wanted some guidance. And then the owner looked at me and placed his hands on my shoulders. And all of a sudden, everything changed. It was like, almost like Dorothy opening up the door in the Wizard of Oz and all the bright colors. It wasn't bright colors in that sense, but all of a sudden I realized that I had totally misjudged the situation. I was dealing with the physical experience of what was going on and not the spiritual situation of what was going on. You see, I was being taught all of these experiences, all this knowledge. And when the first time I got to use this experience, all this knowledge, I forgot about it. And I just saw the kids as dopey kids who wouldn't listen. But now when I looked on the kids with a new set of eyes, I saw that they were really spirits, spirits who had yet to have a human incarnation. And I was there to shepherd them, to mentor them in to their first human experience. And what I began to understand, just as I felt the plants and the animals, we were all connected spirits, that I began to understand that a spirit grows over time, over many incarnations, incarnations of many different types, not just human incarnations. And when this spirit has evolved to a certain point, that they get an opportunity to have a human experience. And this was the task I was failing at. And when I stood before the owner, I began to realize something, that I was looking at me, that I was looking at my higher self, that part of me that is always in spirit. And just part of me comes down. I use the word down metaphorically, but comes down to earth to have a human experience, to make the mistakes that my higher self could never make so I could learn and grow and add it to my continuation of consciousness. And it wasn't that I spoke, and it's not that my higher self gave me words of wisdom. It was that in standing in the presence of this beautiful spirit, I could sense things about, I couldn't tell what had gone on in the spirits, in my spirits, live incarnations. I couldn't tell, but I could tell that they've been through a lot and they've learned and they feel good about it and they understand things. And just being in that grace really helped me 
to understand my situation and what I had to do to really shepherd those kids into their first human incarnation. And actually what I believe, I believe I was being tested to determine whether I would stay in spirit or perhaps come down to earth again, return to my body that was still alive or perhaps pass into spirit. At least that's the impression that I got. And I shepherd those kids into their first human incarnation. And some of those experiences were the most meaningful experiences. And I can't help but look at kids now. And, and so then I found myself in yet a third place. I come from this little town in Kings Park, Long Island, New York, very small town. And there's this place we call the bluff. And at the end of the day, everyone from town goes to the bluff and drinks coffee. Some people drink other things from red solo cups that isn't coffee. And we talk about the day. We find out who's doing who and all the small town gossip. And I found myself there with two of my old friends, Joey and Johnny from Kings Park. Joey was a Irish guy. He spoke with a slight brogue and could really tell a story. And he had broke his neck when he was a young boy diving in the water down by the bluff. And they actually did surgery on him and uh, fixed him so he could walk. But he walked around kind of like Frankenstein. He couldn't move too well and he didn't have a whole lot of mobility. But he was in his 70s and he, he's lived a very happy life. He had a wonderful wife and they were just Kings Park icons. And I really enjoy spending time with him. And then John. He was like the voice of God in church. He really was. He would do the readings and he would say things like, and Jesus said, and the ground would shake. And he was just such a fun guy. I really enjoyed him as well. And he suffered from diabetes most of his life. And it was a real challenge for him. And he was in his 70s as well. And so every day, and I use the term day very loosely, but every day I sat with them and we'd watch the sunset together. And this went on and on and on over and over and over again. We never spoke. We just, and that was, wouldn't even be uncommon because when the sun sets, nobody talks, <laughs> at least not in Kings Park anyway. And then one day is I realized something. I realized both Joe and John had passed earlier that year. Joey was hit by a car and Johnny died of diabetes. He had this septic infection in his leg that just that took his life. And that was just so shocking to me. It really was, is that it was like, I don't know. It was just, I didn't know what to make of this. It was like, how could this be happening? It was the first time, even though I've been through all these crazy things, it's the first time that I began to realize that something's going on. I mean, really, is that they can't be here. And I wanted to ask them, why they're here, but I just couldn't do it. I don't know why. And it went on and on. And what was a pleasurable experience now started to be an experience of anxiety for the first time that I was there, that I really felt anxieties. I had difficulties with the children and learning that lesson, but this was the first time that I really had, I guess, fear. And each time I sat with them, I said, I have them to myself. I said, I have to ask them why they're here. And as time went on, my anxiety built and built and it got almost unbearable. And I felt a certain urgency. 
Like one day, <laughs> I felt like if I didn't ask them now, I would never get this opportunity again. And so I asked them, what are you doing here? And they told me, they're here to make sure that I'm all right. I'm all right. I didn't know what that meant. Like, I'm all right. Like, I really didn't know. I didn't remember the motorcycle accident. I didn't remember anything. All I remembered was this life that I was living. And I was, up until the end, I was so happy. And then we watched the sun set. And as the sun set, instead of getting dimmer, it got brighter and brighter and brighter until I had to shield my eyes. And I shielded my eyes. And then when I felt the light dimming, I opened my eyes and I was in my hospital room. And my mother was holding my hand and she was telling me that I had been in a terrible accident, but I was going to be okay. And that she was here for me. And that's the way I returned. But it wasn't like a light switch. It was like that moment, yes. But after that, it was like I was still there in that place and still here. It was like a transition back to my physical body. And it took some time. But as time went on, as I started to realize something, that lady who was praying, I knew who that lady was. That was actually a dear friend of mine, a person who I, uh, who I was in the PTA with and who I went hiking with. She was my dear friend, a lady called Kathy. And I wanted, I wanted so bad to tell her that I heard her prayers, but I was tied down and I was intubated. You know, it was the first time I was tied down with my clothes on before. <laughs> But I just, I wanted to get the tubes out of me. And as soon as I got the tubes out of me, I was given my phone and I texted her right away. And I told her I heard her prayers and I wanted her to come see me right away the very next day, which she did. But I didn't share anything with her about the place between here and there. Not for some time, because I was so gravely injured. I couldn't walk, my back was broken, my legs still worked, but I'd been in a coma for a month. My muscles, they were, they just weren't used to being worked. But I wanted to get better. It was kind of like what my mom said, is that, you know, she said I'd be all right and my mom wouldn't lie to me. And so I knew I was gonna be all right. At least that's what I thought at the time. And so I just pushed myself so hard. Even when I got to rehab, is that they would chase me down the hallways because I'd, I had a walker and I was able to like, like hobble with a walker and they would chase me to tell me I'd get them in trouble and, and they would put me in back in bed and uh, that went on for quite some time. I was in the hospital in the coma for about a month and I was in rehab for a couple of months as well. And Kathy came to visit me often when I came out of the hospital, out of rehab. And we would go on long walks together and sometimes I would talk about stuff, but most of the times I just kind of kept to myself. And she was an athlete. I mean, she really was. She was an athlete. And so she really pushed me. She was the best physical therapist out there. You know, she was halfway between Sergeant Slaughter and Mother Teresa, you know? She could really push me, but she could be kind and comforting. And at this time, we were just friends. We had known each other for like 20 years. But as this went on, I started to have feelings that were, I think, a little different as I started to get better. 
But then one day as I realized is that there was such a surety of the outcome that I knew if I did these things, I would get better. I knew it, no matter how difficult it was, because it was so difficult to walk. It was such a challenge. And then I thought of Joey and John. You see, when they said, when they said I was going to be all right, they didn't mean there. They meant here. They meant here that they were going to be my spirit guides, that they were going to help me, help me through this transition. Because Joey broke his back. I broke my back. Johnny lost his life from the diabetes, from the infections in his leg. And my leg was all busted up. Who better was in a situation to help me through this time? And it's not like they said, one more push-up, one more push-up. No, I felt their energy in the same way that I stood before my higher self. And I felt that energy, I felt their energy. And that's what gave me the ability to go forward. They didn't prevent me from experiencing pain. Spirit guides, I don't think do that. They aren't spirit shields, but they help guide you through those difficult situations so you can make sense of it and move on and get the most out of this earthly experience. And that's the way it went for a long time is that I was getting better. Kathy was helping me and our relationship was beginning to grow at this point. And then one day I went down in my basement and I found my 20 year old boy dead from a drug overdose. I mean, what do you say? It happened all of a sudden. He was such a remarkable young man. He was a New York State championship wrestler. He was like a rock star in his school. He played the piano like Mozart. He played the saxophone like Dizzy Gillespie played the horn. He played the guitar like Jimi Hendrix. He was a musician, he was a scholar. And this whole thing just happened so fast. One second, everything was wonderful. He's on a scholarship to a division one engineering school. And the next moment he's lying lifeless in my basement. And I thought of all the things that, how did I fail him? Really, how did I fail him? Is that, you know, being an old biker personality wasn't so funny now, you know? And I lived in the town and my son was on all the football teams and I would see all the parents and I see the looks on their face and they were grieving so much. They were because they loved my son. But I also saw something else in their eyes. For the grace of God, it wasn't them. And they felt guilty about that. But I understood that. I did. I understood that. And I loved them for it. And then one day, my cousin went to a medium to hopefully connect with one of her lost relatives. And the medium said, a Nick is trying to come through. And that's my son's name. Do you want him to come through? And my cousin said, yes. She said that, have you been seeing flowers? And she texted us right away and asked if we've been seeing flowers. And we had, we've been seeing roses. It's so ridiculous. We'd be hiking on the path in February and we'd see rose on the ground. And we began to see roses in all these places. And Kathy was telling me, she's saying, so someone's trying to communicate with us. I knew who she meant by the someone. I wasn't buying any of this. It just seemed so unpractical to me. And then the medium said that 
My son has a synchronicity with Saint Teresa, and he is sending the flowers. Saint Teresa is referred to as a little flower. She's a saint from France, a very young girl, and she's very popular in the Catholic Church as a mentor and as a guidance of pure, loving energy. And that was it. And then one day I was out hiking with Kathy, and she asked me, "Did Nick ever try to contact me?" And I was outraged by this. I really was, because I was dealing with this grief, and she had been so kind to me. But that wasn't anything real to me. That was fugazi. It really was. It was. It was mumbo jumbo. I'm dealing with this real intense grief and coming to terms with this. And she's talking about my son connecting with me and the and the medium and stuff. And I told her the medium can look up something on Facebook and stuff. You're probably posting something about the flowers and blah blah blah. And she was saying, no, no, no. She didn't even know us. She she didn't know anything that we were related in any way. And I just still didn't buy it. And but I still said no, Kathy, no. And I was very polite because I was really starting to care for her. Then she pulled this Saint Teresa statue out of her pocket, and she put it next to a tree, and right next to a babbling brook. It's something out of Central Casting. It really was. She had brought flowers with her. And she brought a pen, and she brought a rock, and she wrote a prayer to Nick on the rock, and she placed it next to Saint Teresa's statue underneath this tree, and left the pen there, uh, one of those magic markers. And about a week later, we came back, and we saw all, like maybe fifty rocks. They all had prayers on. Some were were asking for healing. Some were asking for their lost loved one to connect with them. Some were asking for a new job. It was everything. And I saw all of these rocks there. And you know, someone might think, okay, everyone has their problems, but I didn't see it that way. All of a sudden, I realized something, and I thought back to the place between here and there. I thought that. We're all in this together. We really are. We're all connected, and we're all experiencing these things. And we all have to help each other through these difficult times, through all these trials and tribulations, as well as the happy times. And it kind of like reminded me of that Sting song, "Message in the Bottle," where he places a message in the bottle about his despair, and instead of getting an answer back, a hundred thousand bottles come back, and he too realized. That he wasn't alone in this world, and that's the message that I got from that experience. There was a physical message, but there was truly a spiritual message in what I was receiving: is that we aren't alone in this world; that we truly are connected. And so, Kathy had a card in her pocket that was given to her by my cousin, who had gone to the medium. It was a Saint Teresa prayer card. And we looked at the prayer card for the very first time, and Kathy pointed out to me that Saint Teresa's birthday was January second. That was my son's birthday, and then I looked on the card and I saw the day that Saint Teresa was canonized was May nineteenth. That's the day my son passed. How does that happen? Like I can, my computer brain could reason away everything. But truly, how did that happen? How did they have those two dates? That maybe this is real. 
because up until that part is I thought my experience in the place between here and there was just was the drugs they gave me. I have an active imagination. But in the same way, that moment when I was sitting with Joey and John in that place between here and there, and I realized that they had passed that feeling of just shock and awe. That's what I felt when I saw those two dates. And then that night when I slept, my son came to me in a dream and I felt that he was here. I truly did. I felt like all of this was a bad dream. I felt him. I touched him. It wasn't a dream. It was real. I felt that. But then I woke up and at first I realized it was a dream. But then I realized is that he was saying goodbye, that everything was going to be okay. And I thought about the place between here and there. And I thought that he was must be experiencing so many of the beautiful things that I was experiencing. And he was transitioning into spirit. That was so meaningful to me. And I've spoken to other people and many people have that experience when loved ones pass, they do have that moment. And I felt like a big weight in so many ways was lifted from me. I'm not saying my grief is all gone. I have good days and bad days, but wow, I really began to understand some of the things that had happened to me and that it was preparing me perhaps for this experience. And my son, did he contact me from that other place? Now that was Kathy's question. Has my son ever tried to speak to me? There were signs and synchronicities all over the place, but I just didn't notice them. I'll give you an example is one day when Kathy and I were walking on the beach, it was during that health crisis that the whole planet was experiencing. And she was praying for healing to the world. She connects with this saint called Saint Germain. They call Saint Germain the violet flame. And she was praying to Saint Germain to help bring healing to the world. So first off, if it wasn't for Kathy, things would have been a lot worse. But she was looking for a sign and she asked to find violet beach glass on the shore. Beach glass, it's in the surf and it's all pitted and it has certain, it looks cool. But violet beach glass is like hen's teeth. You will never find violet beach glass on Long Island. If you do play lotto that day because you're on a winning streak. And I knew she wasn't gonna find it. And so we go to walk after about an hour of walking on the beach, we go to leave. Then all of a sudden, this little Dalmatian puppy, you know, Dalmatians, it's a white puppy with black spots on it, comes running out of the sand dunes and starts jumping all over us going, <laughs> you know, the way doggies do. And the owner comes running out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the dog's nipping at us. And we're like, no, no, we love doggies. And we're petting the dog and we're just carrying on. And so I lean over to the lady while I'm trying to calm the dog down and try to get it to settle down. And I say, what's the dog's name? She says, Violet. Violet? How does that happen? It's a Dalmatian puppy. Really? A black and white, like 101 Dalmatians. How does that be violet? And so that was it. And we walked away and Kathy starts pouting again about not finding the violet beach glass. And I said to her, 
Kathy, the dog's name is Violet. And she got it. But I knew that we'd have to see this lady again. I have to find out why, because I was starting to get in tune to signs and synchronicities now, and I knew that had to be a sign, but there was more to this message. And so we found this lady a couple of weeks later, you know, people walk on the same beaches as, you know, there's a beach right around the corner from our house, all the locals go there. And we saw her and we saw the pilot dog. And so Kathy goes running over to her and sometimes Kathy doesn't have that much of a filter and she just blurts everything out to the lady and uh, asks her, how is the dog's name Violet? And she said that her and her son's favorite movie was Gone with the Wind. They would watch it over and over again. And Scarlett O'Hara had this big violet dress and mom loved it and son was going to buy that for her someday and it was like their little mother-son thing together. And when her son passed under tragic situations, she got the dog shortly after that and named the dog Violet. And how does that happen? Truly, how does that happen? And we became good friends and we talked about our experiences. I thought I was helping her. But no, no, there was an equal exchange of energy. We helped each other. We truly did. And what I'm beginning to believe is that our sons brought us together through the doggy and the violet beach glass. How does that happen, truly? And those are some of the things that come into terms with my near-death experiences and the things that had happened before and the things that were yet to happen. Because they caught the fella who sold my son the drugs and they put him on trial and they charged him with second degree murder. The very same charge that they charged the gentleman who caused the death of that little girl and the limo driver in that head on crash. And I was looking forward to going to that trial. I really was. And I went to that trial and I was building up hatred in my heart. I really wanted to be angry and I really wanted to express how I felt. I wanted that young man to feel my pain. But you see, when I got there and I saw that kid, he was a kid. He was a drug addicted kid. It reminded me of the other young man who was on trial. And I felt nothing, I felt love for this guy. I felt sorry for him, not a moment of anger. I wanted things to be better for him. I wanted him to turn his life around. I couldn't feel anger. All I could feel was love for this young man. You see, I think, I don't recall this, but I think that whole experience with that trial of the young man and that head-on collision, I think that was part of my life review where I came to terms with so many things that had happened there, that had prepared me for this moment. And they convicted that young man as well and gave him 16 years, the very same sentence. And I think about that young man often, and I hope that someday he gets his life on track. But then when I look at everything that's happened, these three events that I experienced, this traumatic accident, 
with the deaths of this young girl and a limo driver under these tragic circumstances. I had this crazy near-death experience that brought me from a zero on a spirituality scale to a very spiritually aware person. And then to lose my son and to go through all of these experiences and then to end with this young man on trial. Like, how does this happen? Like, I never got the impression when I was in that other place that life was like laid out for me. Everything fits together so well. And I can't help but think that in some way it is all connected, that this near-death experience was the greatest gift of all that a person could ever experience. And if there's one last thing as I could leave you with that I've learned from this experience is that life is good and people are good, even when very sad things happen. And that's the truth. These are just words, they're meaningless words. But if you can walk the path in your life and be able to find out for yourself in your own way why this is so, you will find peace in this world and any other world that comes after it. I thank you for allowing me to share my story with you. Sat Nam and peace and love always. We all fall in when the love's in our